Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. GX Wolfi. If you enjoy this programming, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Join Truth and Rhythm's membership program through Patreon. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I am pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership trumpet player, Benny Cohen, a member of the P-Funk Horns who has spent more than 40 years recording and performing with George Clinton and the Parliament Funkadelic All-Stars, as well as many other notable artists. Among the albums he appears on are Parliament's Motor Booty Affair, Glory Howl's Stupid, and Trombipulation, Parlette's Invasion of the Booty Snatchers, and Play Me or Trade Me, the P-Funk All-Stars, Urban Dance Floor Gorillas, George Clinton, Some of My Best Jokes or Friends, and The Awesome Power of a Fully Operational Mothership, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers' Freaky Styly. Other artists he has lent his horn stylings to include the Gap Band, Bootsy, M. Tume, Cameo, and Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers. Benny, whose son, Benzel Cohen, has spent more than 10 years as P-Funk's primary drummer and has also been a Truth and Rhythm guest, released his own album called It's a horn thing g which is right there it's a horn hey a few years back <laughs> benny man how are you thanks for joining the show hey i'm doing great glad to be here oh man so glad to have you and uh, you're in your home studio right absolutely yeah we we do a little cutting down here yeah so and for those so who we're, we're know, working on a project now wow. yes. love to hear that yeah so uh, for those who don't know, the Baltimore connection and funk runs deep, you know? Uh, Absolutely. Was there like about at least it's a dozen, generational. Right? Yeah. Huh? At least a dozen, like, well-known funketeers from there, right? Right, right. Absolutely. And that's that's the thing that we're working on now. It's like I'm getting as many of those people, the Baltimore funk, into this Baltimore Funk Foundation thing that we're working on. Community outreach for young musicians to, you know, to get them the kind of things that in the inner city uh, might not be available to them that, you know, like my son teaches lessons in the counties and da, 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 but he gets paid for it. When you do that, you have to pay. So the foundation is going to help try to facilitate that for young musicians in the future. Our, our motto is funk for the future. Uh, that's a beautiful thing. You know, I mean, there's 
too much of it taken out of schools and formal education. And so, you know, to do that and, and run with it, man, that's beautiful. Well, you know, as a musician myself, a young musician, you know, when I started playing the trumpet, <laughs> funny story, right? Okay, lady comes to the schools. Hey, we'll uh, get you an instrument. And we, you know, tell all, all the students, if you get $5, rent the instrument, take music lessons, you do the thing. And getting that $5 back in the 60s, getting that $5 from my father was like, I don't know if that's going to happen, but somehow it did, right? And that, that program in itself helped lots of young musicians. You know, nowadays, that $5 would probably be what? Three, four hundred. Mm. You know, I, I have a calculator, I have a calculator, but it, it would be, it would be sizable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank goodness he did that for you because we're all the beneficiaries now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> so, uh, Benny, speaking of growing up, you know, what, what uh, drew you to the, the trumpet and at what point did you kind of think, hey, you know what, this is what I'm going to do? Well, you know, coming from a religious, very religious background, uh, one of the few instruments spoken of in the Bible are the trumpet. And I think they might have a, a lute or a harp or something like that. But, you know, the, the trumpet trumpet came up a couple a uh, couple times in the Bible, and that stuck with me. And uh, in the music of the time, when I was coming up, you know, before we had really electric guitar, well, there they were electric guitars, but before they were really developed into what they are now, and, you know, pianos were the keyboards of the day, so trumpets were kind of the, uh, you know, bra- all of the brass were the uh, symphonic choice. You know, it's like, oh, when it came to certain moods, bam, that's when the brass came in. Nowadays, it would be, oh, the c- keyboards or you know, the electric guitars or whatever, and some tr- some brass, if you can find it. So did you get formal training as well? You know, uh, do you read music? Well, and things I, like that? I, 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 major, I majored in music in, uh, in my high school. We had what was called the Music uh, Careers Program which uh, was meant to uh, educate you into various uh, parts of the music business, plain and not plain. You know, you you can make a a living in music without playing, being a a player. So, you know, it's like you open up to that, but then at the same time, the things that you would need to to do it if you were a player. You know, it's like uh, you'd have to get keyboard training, you'd have to get ear training, you had to, you know, core training, things like that. So, yeah, they had a program that did that specifically for us. And as a result of that, I was able to graduate, major in music in college. So, you know, uh, where that's where Greg and I got together. Um, you know, we did, uh, I did two years at St. Murray's College of Maryland. And um, that was, you know, really not being a student, if you know what I mean. You know, I would I, I I had an opportunity to go and I made the best of it. And then when it was over, you know, I, it's pretty much the next year when I left college. Uh, I think within a year we were out with George. Did you connect first with Greg Boyer or Greg Thomas or how did that go? Well, I knew Greg Thomas when I was in junior high school. We were in the same junior high school, Calverton, and uh, we were in the band together at school. So I knew him at school. I met Greg Boyer 
when I left, well, really before I went to college because uh, I became uh, aware of the band. When he was in high school, he played with the college band that I went, where I went to, St. Murray's. And so when I came there, I knew him, but he didn't, you know, we didn't, he, we didn't know each other, you know, outside of that, that uh, reference until then. Then after that, boom, it's been, you know, what, 45 years. Yeah. And who are some of your uh, trumpet heroes early on? You know, who'd you look up to? Uh, it's quite a few of them. You know, uh, Maynard Ferguson was a big influence on me because he dared to be different. You know, when I went to the school that I went to, it was all about uh, Freddie Hubbard, Woody Shaw, you know, and Maynard Ferguson was an outlier. It's like, oh, yeah, he plays a high note or a DD, but these guys do the thing. But, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, but there's a path, right? So, you know, and actually, I, I got to meet Maynard on a couple of occasions. Great guy, you know, really, you know, really great guy, inspirational. Um, Clark Terry. I met Clark Terry in college. We did some seminars with him. Wonderful guy, incredibly technical player. It's like, oh my God, you know. Um, uh, and I, I'm trying to think of, of the ones that I've met. Uh, you know, certain teachers, uh, Fred Irby over at, 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 at Howard University, even though I didn't study with him, was very inspirational to me. Tom Delane, Rupert Stone, you know, uh, certain teachers, but, you know, of course, uh, Armstrong always is the thing, you know, uh, I remember when I was young, I saw a movie that he did and it was like, wow, that's interesting, you know, but never thought, oh, I would be playing trumpet and traveling, you know. And Miles Davis? Miles Davis, I got into Miles Davis as I was older, you know. Um, I think when I got into Miles Davis, he had started his anti and he was going anti phase and he was started doing the electronics, which I loved. You know, I loved the electronics. I loved, um, can I say it? Bitches brew, you know, you say it. was, was great. Um, you know, but as I started getting, and then when he started doing the, uh, the, 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 the later things, it's like, Oh, it started really starting to core to correlate with, you know, what we were doing with P-Funk. You know, I could see the, I could see the link as before, and he was, you know, probably doing, you know, one, two, five, seven type things, you know, and blues things, which, you know, he innovated that. But then when he when it came across the line, some of his uh, jazz followers felt like, oh, he's playing that that funk music, you know. But it's like, yeah. And he, he was he was he was in it. He was very Donald Byrd. Oh, my God. Really funky, You know, he's probably, you know, in fact, I think as trumpet players go. Maybe Woody Shaw, but I felt, well, Woody was very technical, really, really technical. But, and, 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 and Donald Byrd was technical, but he was just funky at the root of everything. He could be like funky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, to what extent were you into funk before you connected with P-Funk? Some. There's, there's, a, there's a yes and no. I was into funk as a listener, not so much as a player. I was, you know, we were all, you know, big band jazz players, you know, and that was the thing. I, I did a stint with, uh, with uh, Thad, the Thad Jones Mel Lewis band around the same time I was working with, with uh, P-Funk in the beginning. So, you know, at that time, they were the number one big band in, in Downbeat. So, you know, that was a, a great, great um, 
experience for me to to be able to do that kind of thing. But at the same time, yeah, I was getting into uh, the situation of, hey, you need to go out and work. So when I started playing with P-Funk, I enjoyed their music as as I would hear it on the radio, but it was pretty much a job, you know, and and, you know, as as time goes by, it turns into, oh, now it's been a lifetime. Did you see their show at all before you became part of it? The first P-Funk show I ever saw, I was playing. Uh, well, no. We we uh, auditioned out at the hotel, and that was like the last audition I ever did, I think I ever did in my life. And we went into the room. We played, you know, played the album down. We had studied it. We had, you know, worked it out. We played the album down. And... Uh, they uh, they hired us, but we didn't come in for a minute. You know, they were still working working the thing. And so when we came in, uh, that was pretty much my first show, my first P-Funk show, you know, because all of that time, even though I was a P-Funk fan, we were all playing. You know, we had we had bands and that was that was work. My my playing in bands was how I made my money as a, as a kid, you know. If if I made some money, it's because we did some shows. So, you know, P-Funk came to town, The Temptations, whoever came to town, we was working that night, usually. And so do you remember your first, where was your first show with them? I think we, we flew into Nashville, and I think the show was in Louisville. If 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 memory serves me right, it was in in that area. We flew into Louisville area somewhere in there, you know, because eh, I wasn't really paying attention. It's like we were going to work. What were you thinking though, in terms of um, you know what's going on with Fred and Maceo, and you know, did you know those guys? Did you meet them? Did you wonder what happened to them? Well, when we came out, all of that had already been handled, you know. Fred and them were going to work with, we're going to do the Bootsy thing. And they, they just, uh, actually Rick Cush and Maceo hung out just to make sure that the transition was smooth. And, uh, you know, but they knew that at a certain point they were breaking to go with the rubber band on their tour. So when we came in, uh, yeah, we knew we met them, we knew them, but, uh, not so much beforehand. And what was the album that you had to learn right away? Uh, Funkintelliki versus the placebo syndrome. Ah, uh, okay. You know, and yeah. we when we when we came down, we played every song on the album. Actually, uh, I would say note for note, but because it was done with you know Fred and them was a four piece and we were a three piece, there were some changes that were made. But we played it down figure for figure. What track on that album would you say was the most challenging for the horn parts? Oh Lord! Well, you know, uh, they're all—they were all challenging because it's—you know—it's when Fred and them when they do the thing, it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's different. Um, uh, Funk and Teleki comes to mind. That was—that uh, was—that was very tricky, you know, harmonically. And, you know, the actual figures themselves, they were different than, you know, the average R&B stuff that you, you hear on the record. So, yeah, that was that that was different. Um, but all of it, you know, it's like, you know, because it's. Uh, 
all all of the stuff that they did work at. You know, you know, it, it wasn't just oh yeah, okay, they did that. It's that. It's the normal thing. You had to look in because every now and then they'll they'll sneak that half step in. And I've seen like I see many players when they play P funk things. You know, horn players that you know, and they 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 miss that that once that one. Then it's like you know, it does it doesn't really make that much of a difference. But it's like yeah, or when the harmonies come, it's like oh okay, that's uh, it's a it's a proper harmony, but it's not what they did on the record. Mm-hmm. So you had to kind of make up for two trumpet players, right? Just being the one. <laughs> no, there's there's no doing that. But you know, it's like. Uh, you know, just being, you know, going back and forth because uh, you'd have the two trumpet players. Usually you have a lead guy and a solo guy, you know, and, you know, as 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 it went, I was I was pretty much uh, more in the lead guy category. And, uh, you know, it's like, OK, well, now that you're just there's just one guy. Well, you'll have to fiddle around in both categories. Boy, sure but you can pro- never do the two notes at once. <laughs> yeah, you got to stay within yourself, right? Oh, Clark could do that though. He would play two horns at one time. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, you've got that one. <laughs> uh, what was your first impression, Benny, of of George Clinton when you had you know a fair amount of exposure to him? In the, in the beginning, or yeah, as time beginning. has gone by? It, it, well, well, like in the first year or so, you know, when you just sort of got familiar with him. Well different then you know the entourage was bigger you know we would have three four buses out the trucks you know then the individuals driving so you know the exposure wasn't as deep but and you know it's just a, a businessman boss performer type thing and it's like oh as a performer he was all in all the time and as, as a businessman you know i came in at the height of of uh flash the flashlight flashlight era so you know it's like oh the business was was booming we were landing the mothership but um really know him personally and that was the thing you know it wasn't like now nowadays you you hear a person they have a record out you like their record you know what they eat for breakfast you know what gym they go to you know everything about them back then you i you could do the job you do the job and you go to bed and, you know, it's like, oh, we, did we get paid this week? Oh, we didn't get paid this week. Oh, we did get paid this week. And that was the extent of it. You didn't have to know everything about everybody. Nowadays, you know, everything you do is, is on the media. So it's like, oh, I didn't know that. Things that, you know, maybe I didn't know at the time or, or you know, really weren't relevant, you know, are like front and center now. Yeah, well, now it's TMI, too much stuff, right? Um, yeah, right. Back then, there was some mystery, which was cool. You know, um, so you guys, were you guys kind of a click in the and being the, you know, Baltimore P-Funk Horns? Or, you know, who from the, the band worked with you guys the most? Was it Gary or? Okay, okay. when we first came out, we had, uh, they brought us out, and, and it's funny, um, was, was, uh, Band leader putting together the bride's band and they had given him the you know it's like oh yeah and watch these kids see what they're doing you know that kind of thing because we, we were kids fresh out of college but um the funniest thing was 
when we were first hired, getting ready to, to go out, they had brought in, oh, we're going to bring in this other trumpet player. And, you know, he's got his papers and he's the guy and we'll, you know, da, 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 and he'll, we'll put him in charge of the horn section and that'll be the fine. And um, as, as it would go, this, this guy said, well, the deal that they're offering me at this point is not what I would accept to go out on the road. So he didn't take it, right? And so it's like, okay, it's the last minute. We just go with the guys, see what they can do, and work it out. Come the, as the story would go, this uh, trumpet player that they brought in, very good friend of mine, his name is Lloyd Burry. And he went to the high school that I was, I went to. In fact, he was like two years, he had graduated when I came in. So actually, when I came to the school to audition, him being the lead trumpet player, he gave me my audition coming into Douglas. So it's like, oh, we know this guy it would still be Baltimore Click. That would, you know, it'll all work, but he didn't take the gig. So they left it and wound up being just us. And Kush would overlook us, you know, oh, this, that. But he really left it hands off because he found out as time went by, it's like, oh, pretty much got it covered. And the first studio record you were on, was it Motor Booty Affair or was it the Parlette record? Do you remember? It seems like the first thing we did was uh, Parlette because even though we were the touring horns at the time, uh, the majority of the horn work, the majority of the cord recording work still went to the, to the horny horns, you know. And I, beyond, beyond the horny horns, George had other relationships with other people that he was doing things with. And we were just the kids on tour. And it went that way. It was like that for a while. So, I, yeah, I just pulled a few. I have, of course, every one, but I just pulled this to hold it up. So that's the part of that. <laughs> yeah. There. Yeah, we started to loosen up a little bit then. And uh, Ron Dunbar got that us one. on that one. That one, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, late 70s, that was when, you know, the whole thing, the thing was still right at the peak, you know? Right, uh, right. Yeah. Um, was it a little overwhelming? You know, did you kind of have to pinch yourself, uh, you know, playing in front of such big crowds, just kind of the madness of that scene at the time? Well, no. Um I said, since junior high school, but since high school, I've been playing actual gigs, you know, not not big money gigs. You know, I think when I, I started playing gigs, $15 was like, oh, I made $15, you know. So, you know, but we had been playing gigs, some bigger than others. And playing big, big shows was not a, uh, you know, when, when, when I was in high school, we, we, you know, we did shows with the Baltimore Symphony. So uh, I wasn't crowd of never been crowd of verse. Mm. what about um you know when you got your first like solo spot you know was that a little butterflies or you took it in stride solo spot with p-funk yeah no by the t by the time they started uh spreading solos out to us it had, it had been enough time that we were comfortable so, you know, what can you tell us about the two Gregs? You know, um, obviously over the years, uh, Boyer seems like he's very, you know, energetic. And um, what what can you tell viewers about them in terms of, you know, what kind of guys they are? Oh, okay. Boyer, his roommate. So we roomed in college. I've slept on the floor at his house. He slept on the floor at my house. 
we're brothers. We're that type of situation, you know. Um, an incredible musician, um, incredible writer. He's, you know, he's that guy, you know, top tier. You know, it's a, a uh, I feel blessed to have met him because he's really one of those guys, you know. And Greg Thomas, I've known him since junior high school. Excellent player, you know. Uh, it's it's pretty much the same thing, you know. When Greg left and you know did the things that he did with uh, Mace and Prince and all of the other stuff, you know, Greg and I held it in there, and you know, we made it work with two. We did it as a four piece. We did it as a two piece. So you know, yeah, he's he's that guy, and he you know he does that vocal thing that everybody loves. Yeah, yeah, best Felipe win. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, did you uh, know chess? <laughs> <laughs> did Did you know uh, um, you know some of the older cats like Mudbone? Um, you know from that area. Well, um, I knew Mudbone indirectly because you know at that time when I thought about the high school, we all had bands. Uh, Skeet had their Skeet and Greg had their band. I had a band. You know, Kevin Oliver had a band. Everybody had bands. Uh, Mudbone was with Madhouse. If you're familiar with them, they they were a big deal in Baltimore at the time. And, um, you know, so I knew him. I knew of him through that, but I hadn't really met him. However, he was the he was the pipeline that uh, pretty much made it happen. You know, he brought in Skeet. Skeet brought in us. Well, speaking of Skeet, what can you tell us about him? What kind of guy is Skeet? Oh, Skeet's my man. We we be he's down here working with with me on the thing. We're we're laying tracks now. You know, I don't I don't mind uh, talking about it. We we're working on the concept of an RB R&B big band type thing, but it's going to be a funk band with, you know, big band instrumentation. And we're working on songs down here in the basement doing the thing, and it's it's coming along. I'm looking forward. We're about to uh I plan on launching the website before this tour starts in uh July. In June, yeah, I think I think the tour starts in June. And I'm trying I'm trying to get the website up and running before then. BaltimoreFunkFoundation.com. Outstanding! Can't wait for that. Yeah, um, yeah. So, Benny, as you were part of the the whole, we said you were the thing was at its peak then, but then it came down. Um, were you uh, surprised when it you know kind of changed as much as it did in the early '80s? Well, it was not not so much of a surprise because everything changed at the you know during during that time a lot of things were changing. We were also going through that thing of you know uh, the transition from horn sections to you know keyboards. It's like oh we'll we'll get a keyboard patch and and we'll save on the horn. So you know at the time, even though P Funk was not doing great, they were one of the few entities that were really doing you know horn section at that time so you know when when george did his thing regardless of you know whatever he did at that time he 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 made a point of bringing the horns so i can't be mad yeah um did you feel like hey what's happening this is not cool with all these synths coming in and knocking our horn parts out and uh you know industry-wide it must have been sort of a bummer well it's it's an it's the nature of the business but you know, as for me personally, I was less affected, but I could see like bands that we toured with, 
that when we won two of them from before and they had four horns or three horns or five horns, now you see them today, they might, you know, or, or at that time, they might have one horn or no horns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of somebody like Cameo, what a big change they had, you know, at that time. Yeah, so, you know, and, and not, not just them, but it was, it was every, you know, because everybody was budget conscious, conscious at that time. So it's like, oh, what do you do? And, you know, and so and that's why now so many of, of the people that you see that are horns, they're going for the it's the one horn thing. It's like, oh, me, it's me, you know, which is great if, if you can do that, the me thing. But, you know, horn sections bring you something that I, I still feel like it's important. Oh, no doubt. It makes it real. It's authentic. man. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, and there are a lot of patches now, and and there are apps that you can get, and you know, in the studio, you know, plugins, and you know that you can get. But uh, I still, I'll, I'll blow it myself if it takes a hundred times to get it right. Was there a, a particular session that you remember from back then that ended up on record that um, you know was like the most fun to do? That was part of the P Funk thing that you really enjoyed. No. <laughs> no, no, that's that's a no. All the all the sessions we did were work, you know. And the fun was if if, if it came out as because back then you couldn't do it a hundred times, you know. You go in the studio and you're on the clock, so you have to get it. And 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 for many of the songs that we did with P Funk in the early days, when we went to the studio, we went in cold. We hadn't heard the song. We, we don't know what key it's in. We don't know if it's fast or slow. We don't know if bebop or hip hop or what it is. Here's a song, make something happen. Hmm. I bet you'd be kind of surprised sometimes when you might finally hear the recording that was released, right? Right. Ho- hopefully you can, if you can look it in the face, you've had a good day, you know, because time, you know, time was the essence. Now when you're at, when I'm at home in the studio, I can go to bed at night and say, ah, I'll get up in the morning and I'll do that part. You know, but when you're when you're going in under the clock, you have to do it. You have to do it now. Did you ever hear some of it on the radio that you were like, "Hey, that, I played on that. That's kind of cool." I'm hearing on the radio. <laughs> I hear songs on the radio, and it's like, "Yeah, what's that?" And it's like, "Oh, you played on that. Oh, it was me." You know. So, and at times like that, if it's something that I can hear, and it's like, "Oh my God, it doesn't make me hang, hang my head in shame." It's like, <laughs> "Oh, okay, you did a good job." Are you your own tough critic? Oh, you have to be. But believe me, <laughs> there are plenty of tough critics out there too. So, you know, it's like uh, as, as critical as they are, I have to be more so because I'm trying to sell it. And you have many of choices in your, you have many choices in trumpet players today. I am just one. <laughs> who, who are the, a couple of the uh, guys from back in the late 70s, early 80s? Uh, in the band that you did sessions with or they were around that just especially impressed you with their talent or, um, you know, what they brought? Well, I like a lot of what Clip has done. You know, he's really, really blazed the trail of funk. Uh, I like, I like the work, a lot of the work that Lodge Curry has done, you know, um, I, I did some gospel songs. You mentioned Mudbone. I did some gospel songs with Mudbone. It's like, oh my God, they were, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's, that's what the world needs is that kind of stuff. So yes, yeah, it's, it's been a, a lot of guys and, and it's just, you know, I'm just fortunate to have been, you know, included in their creative process. 
Yeah, well, Lige and Clip came around the same time you guys did. Right. Actually, I think uh, well, Lodge was out when I came out, but he wasn't. He he hadn't become bass player yet. He was uh, management, and I think they were just waiting for the right time to to for him to start doing that. You know, um, Clip came in a little after me, but um, you know, he's he's have since then come in and, and done a lot of stuff with uh, different bands. And it's like, yeah, he's got a, a really, really good creative process. You know, even even the stuff he did over in Europe. Yeah, I like the 420 stuff and and drugs. Um, yeah. You mm-hmm. know, because uh, he seems to have a real reverence and connection with especially the old Funkadelic kind of vibe. Right, right. Um, and some of that doesn't have horns, but that's okay. Or some of it. Yeah, well, a lot, a lot of it doesn't, but uh, a lot of the old Funkadelic you know, didn't use horns and, and a, a lot of, you know, like flashlight didn't have any horns and we play that every night forever. <laughs> Speaking of flashlight, uh, what can you tell us about the, you know, interaction you've had with Bootsy? I've done, done a lot of work with Bootsy and Bootsy's really, really a cool guy. You know, we, we do, we do what we do. I went to China with Bootsy. So, you know, he's, he, he's a cool guy. I loved his bass playing before I ever got with P-Funk. I, I really, really liked what he did. And he was very inter- in, 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 inspirational on, for my son, you know. So, you know, him and, and, and him and my son have a really good relationship. It was, it was his call to get my son to play uh, Woodstock. Hmm. You know, because when my son played Woodstock, he played with Bootsy. He played the segment with Bootsy. And Bootsy's like, yeah, use him. Hmm. And he, I think he was maybe... 14, 13, 15, I don't know. You know, you, uh, after all this time, years, like like sands through the hour, hourglass, you know, it's like, but yeah, he was still young. He was still high school. Hmm. Did you ever imagine he might follow in your P-Funk footsteps? Not actually, but as, as time went by, I started to see him, as he played drums, start to get uh, more serious about it. You know, because... <laughs> We used to take him around to the show. You know, I, I have a, a, fair, a picture I show of uh, Ron Ford holding him in his arm when he was a baby at the show, right? Backstage at the Capitol Center. And um, at some point, he just started banging. I was like, well, you know, why is he? He would get stuff and he would bang, sit on the, the edge of the uh, sofa and he would use the, the lampshade as a symbol <laughs> do the strum thing, right? And then one day it's like, oh, this lampshade is ruined. Look, we we didn't have to get him some drums. And he got him the little Muppet Baby set, the little animal Muppet Baby set, right? And so we said, we'll see what he do, does with that. And and he tore that up in about two months, three months. And it's like, okay, now we, we had to get him real drums. And we've been buying drums ever since. But uh, yeah, he started to show that he was interested. And I, I had no idea where, where it would go. Mm. But all of his... All of his P-Funk work made that happen itself. I, you know, it's like I didn't have anything to do with that. You know, he would, he, he went to George. It's like, George, I want to play. George, I want to play. George, can I play? Can I play? Can I play? And every, and anytime, if, if, if sound check, he would jump on the drums and show, oh, this is what I do. This is what I do. And, then he'd, you know, he would get with George. Hey, can I play? And, you know, and he would get with Bootsy. You know, hey, Bootsy, can I play? And it's like, yeah, yeah okay. Because, see, he has personality. 
So his personality went out. And then when they gave him the opportunity, he was able to make it happen. You know, when I came in, I met these guys. I was I was already hired. I was there to work. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, he earned it. Sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so how proud are you of that? I'm 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 really proud of that. You know, um it's good to see that now now that we've gotten into the general generational aspect of funkadelic that you know as a young person I never thought of. But as as I've been with the band for a while, I deal with George, I talk with him, and I start to find out his insight into family, you know, long-term insights into family. And it's serious. He's, you know, he's serious about that. That's why when you see his kids or his grandkids doing this or that for the organization or in the organization, it's because, yeah, he has a long-term outlook on family. And, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of uh, reflects on, on, on my outlook. You know, it's like, yeah, you, you want to, why not? Why not have, if he's going to do it, why not have him do it with me where I'm, where I'm doing it? Mm-hmm. How would you say, Benny, over the years, the experience of touring as part of P-Funk has, has changed? Well, we've gone from, in the old days, three, four buses, and, you know, what, we had four limousines that followed us from city to city, and you could get a flight anytime you wanted it because, you know, all you had to do was pick up the phone, you could get a flight, to, oh, okay, as with all businesses, a little more cost conscious now, you know, the flights aren't as, you know, it's, it are more of a hassle if you have to take a longer flight because it's less expensive and the expense account. But at the same time, the hotel level of hotels is, is good. You know, we have, you usually stay in decent hotels, some, sometimes, you know, less than you would prefer, but usually pretty good, you know, but, the Holiday Inn Express is not the worst thing in the world, but, you know, we do the Hiltons and the, the DDDs and the da-da-da's. You know, as long as I can sleep, I'm I'm good with that. And uh, uh, the money is, 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 is like, you know, at this point, there's no, uh, no, no worry about whether you will be paid or not, you know, so that's always good. So that's the, that's the touring experience, you know, uh, the crowd experiences, you know, Big crowds, little 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 clubs, big crowds, whatever you know, gigs or gigs. Did you ever imagine though it would continue on so long? No, no, I I I didn't see, I didn't see that early on when I first started because you know, as I told you, I it was a gig. I'm working, you know. After you've been on for five, ten years, more than that. Then you start to see, oh, this is this is it's just the way of life. This is what we do. You know, I would probably see the band going on in some form. You know, as long as there are bands, you know, there there'll probably be someone who want to create a funkadelic banner. You know, somebody with uh, some some real uh, rights to be able to do that. You know, in one form or another. But uh, yeah, it's it's gone on a lot longer than I than I had thought it would when I came when I came in at first. You know, now it's like, oh, funk forever. You know, it's, it's forever. Yeah. Um, might maybe continue on sort of like Sun Ra's band continues on and that sort of thing, right? Right. 
yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of that, but then, you know, uh, maybe some developments that go in a different direction because everything changes, you know, funk changes with the music of the day. You know, when we were doing Cinderella theory or that kind of stuff, you know, it reflected the music of the day. You know, disco, when disco, was, I, I like disco. I thought disco was funky, you know, Crown Heights Affair and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, at some point, you know, funk was labeled, you know, it's like, oh, funk, that's, uh, you know, now it's like a, a, a thing, you know, it's like, oh, <laughs> they're playing funk music at churches now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, that's a, a big area where it's gone is in the church. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the last haven because you know the radio's not the only time you hear funk on the radio is gospel channels. Mm-hmm. It's ironic too, Benny, because you'll hear funk influence a lot of the music and like commercials and things like that. You know, right. it's in the it's in the culture, but then it doesn't really get the radio love, right? Well, it's 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 it's, it's the era, you know. Six, the 60s, 70s, and even the 80s was still the, you know, button up, shirt, shirt tie, you know, dance and that kind of thing. It was never the old, uh, you know, but, you know, funk was kind of like, you know, the finger in your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, total anti-establishment. Yeah. That's a that's a better way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's anti-establishment, but yet it's so unifying, too. You know, right, like, right. Yeah. <laughs> if you're willing to look at the 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 outer fringes of society as we know it, because there are things going on that are cool or not cool, we hurt too, you know. So, you know, that just that insight of the human experience. And then you put a a, a good beat to it or, or, or a good feel. And, you know, people feel that this is emotion for their real lives. You mentioned the Cinderella theory. That was during the uh, Paisley Park era. Um, Did you ever uh, cross paths with Prince during that time? No, no. uh, We did shows where he was at, but I never met Prince. I don't don't know him. You know, I like I like some of his songs, but I never really got to know him. Mm. Are there like two or three shows d- from during your P-Funk history uh, that just really stand out, whether it's, I don't know, one of the Woodstocks or maybe playing Capitol Center when it was, you know, 15,000 screaming maniacs or something, maybe overseas. What are a couple that just really stand out for you? <laughs> okay. We played Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden. And we and I had been touring for a while now, Dr. D. But here's Madison Square Garden. Big deal. We get there, there's some type of problem. The truck doesn't show. We don't have the we don't have the mothership. We don't have the amps. We don't have anything. You know, it's like we 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 do the show with rental. We used to have costume racks. The costumes, no costumes, no mothership, you know, no no back line. We had uh can't remember the name of the, the rental company in New York, but it's the one that everybody uses, right? And we had a couple of Fender twin twin reverbs, and Bernie had a, a small little rig, and, and it was like, oh, it was it was like we we went on and did the thing. And the best part of the gig was, well, damn, the horns had a really good, good set uh presence in the show because we didn't have the giant amp wall that we normally have and all of that. So you could hear the horns. 
but you know, and and it was probably one of the longest shows we had done at that time because George came out. It's like, oh, we're gonna give the show of life because I'm in this situation without the mothership, without the back line, without the costumes. And he came in and we did. And actually, that's the first show that he introduced Zap, Roger Trotman. Mm. Hmm. Wow, that sounds like it would have been a cool show to be at, you know? <laughs> well, if you were playing it, it was definitely a, a, a change because when we came out to that, at the at the at, at Madison Square Garden, eh, you have to really you have to put up now. You know, you can't say, "Oh, you can't just lay back." And the mothership will always, you know, turn it out. Or look, these costumes, or look how how strong this the sound is with this giant amp wall. It's like, no, you're just some musicians playing some songs, and you still got Madison Square Garden full, so you got to bring it. Yeah, well, I mean that's. P-Funk's musicians are up to that challenge. I mean, that's how good and high the level is of musicianship, in my mind, of, you know, P-Funk. So, yeah, well, I, I felt that way also. You know, I've, I've always felt it was incredible to come in with musicians of that caliber. And then, you know, find out that they're really just down-to-earth people, you know, good people to hang out with. When you said just, you know, letting the horns be prominent like that, I'm thinking of that version on uh, P-Funk Live of uh, Clones of production you know with the uh, the horny horns really doing sort of uh, almost a right. horn acapella if you will you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. horn, horn yeah. acapella <laughs> yeah i love that love hearing that really strong brass sound up front you know mm -hmm. um so was there another one maybe more recent uh for whatever reason that stands out well with the with the chili peppers and and we we uh we did europe with them Australia, that was that was great. That was fun, you know. But I have a line that all gigs just turn into one in the in the background, you know, because you I've done so many of you know you go out and it's you know what we did uh, Isle of White, like you know what a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand people, and you know it's, it's it, you never know because we 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 do those European tours. You never know when you're going out to a nice little friendly festival in the park. Or you're going out to the gigantic thing of, oh, thousands and thousands and thousands of people are out here doing the thing. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinslift.net. Thank you very much.